0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. We had the uh, privilege of driving over from uh, through Tadmungush and Wentworth. Uh, I've never seen color in my life like today. And I don't know if it's the, uh, the cloudy skies, it just makes the colors pop. And uh, we were just kind of in awe. I kind of wanted to just pull over and watch, but I had to come, come to church today. <laughs> Why don't we uh, begin with prayer? Lord, thank you for, uh, well, there's just so much, Lord, to be thankful for. You, you call us to have thankful hearts. And, and truly, Lord, when we count our blessings, it's overwhelming. Uh, Lord, you are our greatest blessing. We behold our God seated on the throne. Come, let us adore him. Uh, we just are so glad to know you, the living God, and the difference you make in our lives. We're glad, Lord, to live in this country. And the beauty of it, and the glory of it, and the freedom of it. And and even though things aren't perfect, Lord, they're, they're pretty good. And we have it better than virtually everybody else on earth. And, and we're glad for that, and we thank you for that. Um, we get lots of sun, we get lots of rain, we have soil, we have uh, uh, lots to eat. Um, uh, Lord, you have been very good to our land. Uh, we pray, Lord, that as we ponder your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts uh, that we'd really ponder these things, Lord, and think about uh, our country and ourselves and where we're at in and, and history and where we're going. And that, Lord, you would um, just open our hearts to your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, following Emma's blog, her pictures, uh, driving across Canada, and uh, probably the first time she's done that. And. Uh, I don't know when it was that she finally got tired of driving. (laughs) It was probably around the lakehead. You realize how big a country it is and how long it takes to get across, and she only got about three-quarters of the way across. Um, The driving got old, and and you really have to kind of drive across the country to get a sense of how big it is, because it's absolutely huge. Um, You know, with all the great things that, uh, like here we are right in the midst of an election, and and there's uh, lots of back and forth about what's good and what isn't. Um, we still have great prosperity. Um, you know, the whole world wants to come here because of what we enjoy. We have tremendous security, and largely because we're you know an island continent, um, and we have great freedom. We get to choose our leaders, and we take that for granted, but a lot of places don't get to do that. And we have systems and policies that need changing for sure, but uh, most of them are still pretty good. But um, Canada is degenerating quickly away from God. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. We're, we're almost at 2020. Can you believe it? 2020 is right around the corner. For those of us who, uh, you know, dreamed about 2000, uh, here we are 2020. It's a far different country than it was 20 years ago. I tell you, it's, it's radically different in, in a lot of ways. Um, So we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 17 today. We're not I'm not going to talk about Thanksgiving. We're not looking at Thanksgiving scriptures. Uh, This is not really a feel-good sermon. Uh, Sorry. But um, you know, you you handed a text like 2 Kings 17, the Exile of a Nation uh, because of disobedience. Um, It's a warning text. There's a warning in this text, and it's a warning that we ought to apply to ourselves. We call ourselves We the North. And uh, we're looking at a warning uh, that God gave and carried out to a northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, it, there's a threat in the future, and uh, it's bigger than uh, climate change. It's a warning of the coming judgment of God on the earth. Let's read some of the passage. It's a, kind of a long chapter. Second Kings 17, uh, we'll read one through... Uh, through six. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea the son of Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel. And he reigned nine years. So remember this: Samaria is kind of the capital of Israel, which is the northern uh, tribes, the northern ten tribes. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hoshia, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala on the Habor, the river of Gozan, in the cities of the Medes. So this is around 721 B.C., and uh, this is repeated, this is warned about and talked about in many of the, the prophets, including uh, Steve preached last week on Hosea. Uh, Jonah's around that time. Isaiah is the predominant uh, prophet of that day and so they predicted that these things would happen and that's what happened uh, I expect we all picture a hopeful ending for our lives a happy ending, who doesn't like a happy ending uh, happy endings don't happen by default now we tend to think that they do that you know, we have a right to a happy ending but truthfully happy endings hopeful endings happen by the will and mercy of God And the wisdom and the obedience of people. They don't just happen because you live in a prosperous country. Matter of fact, you can live in a prosperous country and have a very unhappy ending. So just thinking about the nation of Israel. God called Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 and called him to go to a land. Said, I'm going to give you a land that's all your own. And I'm going to make your family my people. And your family are going to bring forth the Messiah. And he's going to bless the whole earth. What a tremendous calling on one man. And so Abraham went to the land and, and um, received some of that initial blessing. But then they, they ended up going down to Egypt because of famine. And they ended up in Egypt for 400 plus years. And then God called a grandchild of Abraham named Moses to lead his people out of um, slavery in Egypt. And, and God brought them to Mount Sinai uh, in the southern desert of what is now the the Arabian desert, the land of Israel, and um, made a covenant with them. And, and God said, I will be your God and you be my people. And all the people said, we will obey you. In, in other words, to, for God to be your God, you've got to be willing to submit to his authority and allow him to rule. We call that a theocracy. And that's what the Old Testament system began to be. It was a theocracy. God was the king and the people, there was one king, There was no parliament, there was no, you know, there was uh, other rulers and sub-rulers, but God was to be king. Israel went on to conquer the land and for a time enjoyed the happy life that God had promised them. But they didn't want God to be their king after a while. They wanted a human king like every other nation had. And so God allowed them to pick kings. And uh, the history of Israel became like all of human history. A sinful, rebellious people who became dysfunctional and wayward. That's the history of humanity. And so you have in the history of Israel a few good kings sprinkled among a whole host of evil kings. So it says of Hashia he wasn't as bad as he could have been, but he still wasn't very good. And some of them were, were very evil now, I believe that the Bible has a lot to say about government and, and how it should work. And um, I was reading in Proverbs and, and just picked out a, kind of a few scriptures stuck in my mind this time around uh, with Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 28.2. When a land transgresses, it has many rulers. But with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. So the kind of ruler you get is related to the kind of people you are, okay? And so if the land is transgressing and rebellious towards God, it's going to have many rulers, which often means kind of chaotic rule. And and if the land has a good ruler, it would bring stability. And you can see that in, in, in our own country and in other countries. So when Israel reached its highest point of greatness which is under the rule of Solomon, and Solomon had built the temple and extended Israel's borders to fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham to, to rule all the way to the Euphrates River and the Mediterranean, the river of Egypt and, and uh, all the land of Canaan. Um, God had to raise up an adversary against Solomon because Solomon became disobedient to God. And it says that several times in 2 Kings chapter 11, God raised, or First Kings chapter 11, God raised up an adversary against Solomon. And that happens today. Um, you know, God sets up leaders and then he sets up adversaries to discipline them. That kind of happens in our lives too, right? Sometimes you wonder why there's a certain particular thorn in your life or obstacle in your life or a troublesome person in your life. And we tend to focus on them, and I think the message of God is, no, you need to focus on you, because they're trying to show you something, show me something. And we're not e- eager to learn that, uh, just like our leaders are not. I believe God sets up some leaders, the Bible says that, but I also believe that God doesn't set up some leaders, because the Bible says that. Uh, Hosea 8.4 says, Israel chose kings without consulting God. God said, I, don't know, I didn't choose these guys, you chose them. That's what he says. Hosea 8.4. Look it up. Uh, Proverbs 29, uh, verse 1. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. Now, I believe that applies to people as well as Nations. You know, if God is trying to get you and me to change and we won't, we stiffen our neck and we're stubborn against him, watch out. Because sudden brokenness can happen. And it can also happen to nations as well. It it teaches here that righteous leaders make for a stable, content nation. But wicked rulers create division and trouble. That's kind of how it goes. And so in some countries today, uh, we see all this division, whereas for maybe decades we've seen stability, like Great Britain, for instance. It's just in an uproar. It's a mess. Too many rulers and, and not enough good rulers. Let's go back to the text. Uh, read. I'm going to read uh, 2 Kings 17:7 7 through 18. I wonder if I might prevail on somebody to get me a bottle of water, if they would, please. Thank you. And this occurred, this carrying away of Assyria, which is basically the land west of Babylon, kind of modern-day Persia area, Iran area. This occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods broke the first commandment. Thou shall have no other gods before me. They adopted other gods instead of the living God. They walked in the customs of the nations when the Lord drove out from before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. So they adopted the culture into the theocracy and when the kings kind of wandered off, the people kind of wandered off with them and they adopted the king's practices. The people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. So outwardly they might have looked like they were uh, obedient but secretly they were not. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. Thank you, Sonny. They set up for themselves pillars and Asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And this was all for the purpose, mainly, of false worship. There they made offerings in all the high places, as the nations did, whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenants he had made with his fa- their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false, and they followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. as good as coffee better for you too but let's not get down on coffee eh? (laughs) why did this exile happen well it just pretty much says it all what, what I just read there they abandoned the Lord's commands they murdered their children they sold themselves to do evil and it just got increasingly worse and worse and worse. And they got farther and farther away from God. And so what happens in Israel, you have the, you know, the, the agreement made in, in the book of Deuteronomy. And as you get toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy, God sets out the blessings and the cursings. And he says, if you obey me, you're going to have it so good. You're going to be uh, just such a happy, prosperous people. But if you disobey me, uh, you're just going to end up in a hole. You're gonna, it, life is going to get so bad that you wish that in the morning that it was night, and at night you're going to wish it was morning, because it just won't get any better. I believe that that's what's coming on the whole earth. That's what's coming upon the whole earth. You go to Isaiah 24. Verse 1 of Isaiah 24. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. Verse 4, the earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the highest people of the earth languish, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. It's not just Israel that God is concerned about. It's that mankind has broken the everlasting covenant with their creator. Romans chapter 1 warned that uh, it's, we're prone as people to worship the creation and forget the creator. And that's the everlasting covenant, or at least part of it. The sense that we have a maker. We have a creator. That, that God is our maker. And, and we owe him something. We owe him our lives and our, our, our obedience and, you know, you think, well, okay, yeah, Israel had the Ten Commandments. They had the laws written down. What about everybody else? Well, you know, Romans 2 says that God wrote his law in everybody's heart. Everybody knows instinctively that there must be a God. But when you willfully deny that there's a God, after a while you start to believe it. And so will your children and so will your society. And, uh, you know, you just have to look at our own country. Uh, we abandon God's morality and truth. Part of the reason it's changed so much over the last 20 years is that a lot of the older generation have passed on, and there's been a real shift in our country from a, maybe a 50/50 mix of, you know, more conservative versus more liberal to now, kind of a two-thirds, one-third. And it's because uh, our, our, my parents' generation are, are passing on. We are abandoning the truth of God um, there was some British court uh, ruled last week that, um, that the Bible was, um, uh, well, basically hate literature. They ruled that in court because somebody used it as a, as a defense. Um, God warned Israel with adversaries. And I believe God's warning us with adversaries. Famines and diseases. You know, we don't think of those things as happening in our country. And, and, and you know, hopefully in the will of God, it never will. But they could happen. We have it so good, we just assume it's going to keep on going. You know, you think of what's happening over with, uh, you know, Turkey and the Kurds and Syria. Like, it's things can, you know, go crazy overnight. Um, people won't listen to God. That's the problem. Israel rejected God's authority, so God rejected them. And that is the, I guess, the simple truth of the message of the scriptures. It's very unpopular to say stuff like that. Imagine if you were one of the political leaders and you said something like that. Man, you'd be strung up. You know, uh, I listened to an interview with Elizabeth May a few weeks ago and they they said, who's your, uh, who's your hero? She said, Jesus Christ. I was kind of surprised. Well, then she said, well, I guess I'm not supposed to say that. Because it's not convenient for leaders to identify what they are. Um, now, I, what I'm gonna say next might uh, be fodder for your Thanksgiving dinner discussion, all right? And you might not like it, or you may like it, I don't know. I'm not really gonna tell you what you wanna hear. Um, there's a lot of anxiety in our country, uh, around the world. Um, the world is in bigger trouble than it was 20 years ago. What's the greatest threat to the Earth today? Is it climate change? I, I believe in some aspects of climate change. I, I don't think you can, I think you'd have to be kind of blind to ignore that there's something going on when the Arctic is melting, you know. Uh, there's just a lot of upheaval. And I don't understand all the science, um, so I believe that there's some truth to it, but I don't like the fear-mongering. Uh, you know, when there's a... I was reading this. Uh, I picked up a paper when we were down at the Rebecca Cohen last weekend, and, and it was a Dalhousie student paper, and they were talking about eco-anxiety. Well, I had never really heard of that before, but it's a new thing. It's an identifiable term for what young people are going through, where they can't eat and they can't sleep and they can't function very well because they're so worried about climate change. I remember one time, maybe, uh, I don't know, last... Uh, Sometime earlier this year, I was talking to Allie, and Allie, my daughter, said, "You know, Dad, I just kind of freaking out about all this climate change stuff." And I said, "Allie, just turn the news off, <laughs> because it, it's it, it's overloading. Okay, you, you have to think calmly about it and have a perspective about it. If fear starts driving people, um, that's not—I don't think that's a good thing." Does God care about the Earth? Absolutely. Um, in Revelation chapter eleven. Verse 18, it says, The nations raged, but your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged. This is future. It's coming. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth, destroying those who destroy the earth. God cares about it. You know, when God put Adam in the garden, he said, Take care of it. You know, be fruitful and multiply and take care of the garden, be a steward. So I think we should clean up our act. If you read the book of Revelation, you know that ecological disasters are going to be part of the judgment of God. It's just there. If you go back, way back to Genesis, the other end of the Bible, Genesis 8, 22, there's another truth that I think ought to be remembered. You know, when you want to have perspective on the beginning of what God said and the end of what God said, this is what uh, Genesis 8.22 says. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So there's a sense of stability that God, like the world, it it looks like it's out of control and and, and people make it look like, you know, we're going to ruin it all in 10 years and yet, God is in control, and we need to remember that. Now, I know a lot of people don't believe in God, but we do. Most of us do. I do. And so this informs me. On the one hand, God has promised, and this is part of the rainbow, the original rainbow promise, that uh, he would not judge the earth until the time of the end. There wouldn't be another flood, and that stability would be kind of the, something we could depend on. But at the time of the end, literally all hell is going to break loose. And the thing about the end is we don't quite know how close it is. But I can tell you this, the closer we get to the end, we can expect increasing instability. We can just expect it. I mean, it's just not going to all of a sudden be stable and then, you know, unstable overnight. It's going to be a progression. And it seems like we're kind of in that, possibly. Nothing too controversial yet, right? We're just getting going here. You know, it's really hard to find out what's true, isn't it? Um, some of you know I've had you know some heart problems this year, and so I've been, become very interested in heart health. And I've been reading this and reading that, and people are telling me this and telling me that. And so um, my doctor said heart blockages are 80% hereditary, you know, what you're born with, the way your body produces and what it does with cholesterol, etc., and 20% diet. And um, um, some people say, no, it's 20% hereditary and 80% diet. So um, my son sent me this, uh, uh, it was actually a Netflix documentary called uh, Forks Over You Ever seen that? And it's about basically, you know, getting uh, animal food out of your diet. And there's, you know, it makes sense. Um... But who's right? Like, I, you know, here you are. Like, this is important. <laughs> I need to know who's right here. So uh, in July, the doctor put, uh, put me on a statin drug, which is designed to lower your cholesterol. So I, I had my blood test uh, later September, and I went to see the heart doctor. He said, wow, that's phenomenal, from 3.3 to 1.4. So it's 80% hereditary because the drug did the job. Now, I did change my diet some, um, but... That's kind of how you know, it's like, just show me the results and then then I'll know. Um, But it's very hard, like, who am I to question what a doctor says or what a scientist says? Um, Scientists, but they have biases. You know, studies will come out, uh, saying coffee's good for you, and maybe under the fine print, it's like promoted by the coffee growers of, you know, whatever. (laughs) Uh, You know, that's, like, you always have to look at the fine print, you always have to look behind what they're saying. To figure out what the truth is, scientists have biases. But I tell you, I don't trust politicians to evaluate scientists. <laughs> I just don't. Um, some scientists are funded by special interests. Some have biased ideologies, and some are motivated by truth. And how am I supposed to figure it out? How are you supposed to figure it out? But I, I, have, I tend to—I tell you what—I tend to think I tend to listen to an unbiased PhD scientist more than somebody who read a book, okay? Just say It's hard to find out what's true. Now every ideology has an agenda. Everybody has an agenda, you've got an agenda. Maybe you're going through it right now, I'm gonna do this and this and this, I wish you'd hurry up. Um, <laughs> my, my agenda this morning is to relay how Second Kings 17 and warning and exile due to rebellion affects us today. This is applicable to us today and we need to think about it in terms of our own personal lives and in terms of our nation. So, I you probably know this, but uh, we can't really trust the right media or the left media to tell us the truth, can we? No. You really can't because they have biases. So, you know, like in, uh, in our country, we tend to have CBC as the main news purveyor, and they tend to be left, left to center, um, sometimes very far left to center. And it's hard to find right-wing news, but sometimes I have a harder time listening to right-wing news than I do left-wing news. Um, so I try to do a bit of both, but I've discovered what I really knew, that you can't trust the right or the left to tell you the whole truth. Why? Because they have an agenda. Um, so let's just um, think about climate change because it's getting all the press and it's, it's getting all the, uh, the push uh, this year. So we should ask what the agenda is of the fear mongers. People who are promoting fear, what is their agenda? Is their agenda uh, to build a better world without God? I'd say largely yes. Yes. Um, That doesn't mean I discount all that they're saying. I just realize where it's coming from. I don't believe they're going to build a better world without God. The the Bible tells us that this isn't going to happen. Right, it is lost. Now, conversely, we should ask, what is the agenda of climate change deniers? (laughs) I've been uh, kind of admiring Mr. Singh uh, uh, he's pretty, he's uh, pretty sharp. He's he didn't seem that sharp a couple of years ago. It was like, who is this, you know, guy? But he's he's pretty good. He and he called uh, called Trudeau and Sheer, Mr. Delay, Mr. Deny. I thought it was pretty sharp. Um, but what is the agenda of climate change deniers? Like you you should ask that. Maybe you you don't think that climate change is real. What's the agenda of those who push that? Um, I would say that it's based on a profit motive of pillaging the earth really it's not really based on um what we see it's kind of based on they just want to keep bringing it out of the ground dismantling all the environmental uh regulations we have and just letting people do what they want i don't think that's a good idea (laughs) you know in in 1970 i was 16 years old and i was very much environmentally conscious and um uh, so were a lot of uh uh, musicians at that time, and I just kind of got caught up in it, and because I could see it, you know, when I grew up in New Glasgow, they had a dump. Like the East River runs through the middle of town, and you walk across the bridge to get from one side of town to the other. So every day you'd walk by the dump. The dump was right on the banks of the river. That's the way people lived, and and finally somebody said, "That's not good. We need to move the dump." And so they moved the dump. And years later, they took the sewage out of the water. And, I mean, it just makes sense. You can't keep polluting um, and getting, uh, thinking that nothing's going to happen. So when it comes to, you know, using resources, I think we need to use our resources. There's got to be some way to use them and use them in a cleaner way. But there's something very wrong with filling the ocean with plastic. Anybody should be able to recognize that. There's something wrong with filling the air with pollution and filling the ground with toxic waste. There's just something wrong with that. And, you know, we're all complicit to some degree. We do our job in putting all our plastics into the blue bags and taking them out and thinking, this is great. We're doing our thing. And then we find out they're taking it over to Malaysia and burning it. I mean, the world's, uh, it's just so dysfunctional. So I believe we need to change because we're stewards of the earth. And I believe that whatever you believe about those things, you need to ask what the agenda is of those who are pushing it. So that you don't just swallow anything hook, line, and sinker. You think about what's being said. Let's go back to Second um, Kings. Verse um, 24. No, verse 19. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. And the, basically verse uh, 23 ends, so Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. And so, so Israel's gone. There's maybe a few people left, but by and large, all the Jews are taken out of the land. Verse 24, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Cutha, Ava, Hamath, Sepharium. And placed them in the cities of Samaria. Instead of the people of Israel. So they took possession of Samaria. And lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there. They did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them. Which killed some of them. So God's still watching over his land. And, and these uh, people are sent uh, into. You know live in the cities and towns and houses of, of uh, God's people. And, and God starts <laughs> stirring up the lions. Uh, to get the people's attention. And so uh, the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. And so people back then kind of figured, okay, we must have offended the God of this land. It's kind of like Jonah in the boat, you know. Somebody must have offended God here because we're going down. And so that's kind of the the sense that they had. It was kind of superstitious, but there was some kind of awareness of God. So um, therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. And so if you think ahead to from the 8th century B.C. of this time to that time of Jesus and Jesus going through Samaria, these are the Samaritans. And so there's a mixed peoples from all kinds of different nations, some Israelites, some other countries. There's a mixed religion where there's some uh, sense of, of Old Testament beliefs, but it mingled with all this other stuff. And so the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews said the Messiah was coming to Jerusalem. The Samaritans said, no, he's coming to Samaria. And so when Jesus showed up at the, at the, to the woman of the well, they had a discussion about who was right, and Jesus said it's us because <laughs> you know he knows right he was the messiah and so for seven centuries or so this is what happened in samaria they lived and died and they uh, they uh, served god and it's at verse 20 or 33 says so they feared the lord because he was the god of the land but they also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from whom from among whom they had been carried away. Verse 34, to this day they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord, and they do not follow the statutes of the, of, or rules or the law of the commandment that the Lord commanded the children of Israel. So they feared the Lord in a way, but part of the fear of the Lord is to have no other gods before him, so they didn't fear him that much. They just kind of adopted it and made it one... Uh, You know, one kind of uh, multi faith religion. And we call that syncretism. Syncretism. It's kind of synthesizing religions uh, together. You know, when I was working on this message, a song came into my head. Uh, There was a time in this fair land when the railroad did not run, when the wild, majestic mountains stood alone against the sun, long before the white man, long before the wheel. When the green, dark forest was too silent to be real. Anybody know what that song is? Gordon Lightfoot. Canadian Railroad Trilogy. What a great song. Song about the history of our nation. Um, and I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about, you know, because I've been, I'm working on this sermon, right? And I'm thinking like, you know, uh, the north. And, you know, here we are, this northern nation in seven Century century B.C., and here we are, this northern nation, and you know, around 2020 A.D., it's like, and the similarities are just uh, powerful. Now, I was thinking about what the land was like 500 years ago. And not that I believe that, you know, uh, when the natives were the only people living in, in North America, that everything was just perfect and peace and quiet because they did fight with each other because they're human beings, and that's what human beings do. Uh, But it was certainly a far different place. And so Europeans come over and conquered the natives and conquered the land. And they brought Christianity with them. But the the gospel was mixed with conquest. And at times the conquest was brutal. And that was never the New Testament plan. Never. You know, Jesus said, love the world. Don't exterminate people. That's what he said. I don't think God was in much of it, even though His name was regularly used and, and all of that. And you know, we can uh, be zealous for God and just get it wrong. We have the wrong motivation, the wrong agenda. So listen to this carefully. Christians don't live under the Old Testament covenant of establishing a theocracy by force. That's not us. That belonged to Israel, and it was God's way of uh, creating a holy nation so he could bring the Messiah through, but that's not what God's doing now. Now, I believe the day is coming when a theocracy is coming back, but there's only one person uh, who's going to be qualified to run any theocracy, and his name is Jesus Christ. He'll be the king. And there won't be any other kings, and there won't be any parliaments, and there'll, there'll just be a lot of sub rulers. He will be the ruler, and he will know how to do it. He will rule righteously. I'm looking forward to that day. I wish I could vote for him. Maybe I could write him in. I, I don't know. I probably could write him in. We are supposed to, we are under a covenant of establishing a kingdom by truth, grace, and love. That's what we're supposed to do. So we should stick up for the truth and we should do it in grace and we should have a lot of love. That's what we should be known for. So I believe that Christians have to be very careful about mixing God's will and agenda, because that's God's agenda, and mixing it with human government. Because we often get sucked in by the promises of politicians. Um, I was thinking about, you know, one of the biggest was the Iraq war. People were lied to, and people supported it, but it was a pretense for doing something else. And that happens quite often with government. So whenever the gospel gets mixed up with government power, it corrupts the gospel. And the reason is is because government operates under worldly values, while the gospel is not supposed to operate like that. So I want you to think of the best democratic government, and maybe it's our country. The best democratic government anywhere, number one, puts man before God. It doesn't put God before man. We can have, you know, uh, God keep our land glorious and free, or people can have, in God we trust, on their money, but it's just lip service. It's not practiced. Governments put man before God. That's problem number one. Government tends to cater policies to the rich over the poor. The Bible has a lot to say about that. Government caters to public opinion instead of what's right. Like, all you have to do is listen to debates and how they avoid certain questions and certain comments and certain beliefs because they're afraid that It'll give people a narrow or a negative opinion of them, so they don't tell the truth. (laughs) Government lies to get elected. It'll promise stuff that it knows it won't do. That's what they do. Um, Its biggest effort, once it gets elected, is to get re-elected. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, like, if you were, you know, um, you got elected to the parliament, and and you know that if, you're, um, if you get elected to a, a period of, I think it's six years, kind of like two terms, you're gonna get a pension the rest of your life. Pretty big pension. So at the back of your mind, what's, what are you thinking about when you're out campaigning? I gotta get reelected here. <laughs> and, and they say, and I believe some are in it for people, but mostly they're in it for themselves. Because that's worldly values. That's how we operate. I mean, that's how we operate. Right? If you're in something, you're usually in it for yourself. Why? Because human beings are selfish. Um, So government is largely directed by self-interest. It likes to stifle opposition. It can use its power to manipulate and deceive. It spends tomorrow's money. Now, people hate that. People hate the thought that that you know they're going to cut people. You know, if the conservatives get in, they're going to cut programs, and and it's it's hard to do that. But the only way you can keep some things going is you got to borrow in the future. And can you keep doing that? Like I know if I keep doing that as a as a you know if we do that as a household, our household's going to go bankrupt, <laughs> right? And and so will our country. So I mean that's. But but it caters to public opinion, maybe more than what's right. Government exploits people. And often government can act like the worst of us. It can act like the worst people. People that ought to be locked up can be running government. So my point here is that. Canada is a modern day Samaria. This is where we're at. Um, the predominant values in our country today are called progressive. It sounds good. Um, I remember when I was a young guy and, and the Conservative Party used to be called progressive conservatives. I was always trying to wrap my head around that. How does that work? Um, some progressive values are okay. Like, I believe that you know, values that want to protect the environment are, are good. I believe, uh, you know, some progressive values that want to introduce civility to politics, that's a good thing because people are tired of fighting and bickering. But I got to tell you that most progressive values are a progress down the broad road to hell because they leave God out of it completely and are doing the, the similar things that, you know, like uh, uh, in 2 Kings, one of the things God hated the most was that they offered up their children as sacrifices to their own selfishness. Well, that's what we do. That's what happens in North America. Uh, you know, babies aren't protected. They're just used. I think God is going to judge our nation because of that. Now, this isn't a surprise. Um, if you go to 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, we've been warned over and over again that this time is coming. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty We've been warned. And we haven't really felt the effects of it yet, but all the outward signs are there. Um, you know, when you think about Samaria and you think about Canada, a lot of people blame immigration for bringing other religions to Canada. But if you f- understand Second Kings 17, the cause of syncretism was their own unbelief. The cause of our corruption is our own unbelief. We can't blame it on somebody else. It's us. And our country has largely turned away from God. And, uh, you know, God says when you uh, sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. What hope is there? I was reading Hosea this week and uh, my devotions and... um, I read a a verse out of um, This thing keeps sinking on me. (laughs) What God said to Hosea in in chapter 2, he said, I will allure her into the wilderness. He's talking about Israel. He said, I'm going to draw Israel into the wilderness. And that's kind of a Reference to the exile that happened in Second Kings 17. I'm going to draw her into the wilderness and I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And I will make the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, a door of hope. And there she will respond to me as she did in the days of her youth. I, I love that picture. The mercy of God. That's the hope. That's the only hope, is that God would, you know, in the midst of, of coming difficulty, make the valley of trouble a door of hope. Our hope is not in their government. Our hope is not in our land. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our hope is not in man's ingenuity to figure out his problems, because If you read to the end of the Bible, man's not going to figure out his problems. They're just going to keep piling on and piling on, and God's going to have to step in and stop it all so that man doesn't end up destroying everything. That's what's going to happen. You know, there's a kingdom of God coming, and Jesus is going to bring it, and there's a kingdom of God now, which is the presence of Jesus Christ in the hearts of his people. And so I believe that the hope we have in the midst of troublesome times is we can have peace because He's in control. Whether you live in Canada or you're one of those poor Kurds stuck on the border uh, with the the Turkish army bearing down on you, a lot of them are Christians actually. So what can we do? You know what do we do in this this day and age? Uh, Well, I hope you vote. Glenn and I voted last night in the advance poll. I hope you vote. Get out and, and, and do what you should do. What can we do? We need to live as the remnant. When God was speaking to, you know, He was going to allure uh, Israel into the wilderness, and there He was going to speak peace to her, and He was going to make the valley of trouble a door of hope. Out of that came the remnant a, a, a minority of faithful believers who stuck with the Lord, who were loyal and faithful no matter what. I love that picture of the remnant. I want to be part of the remnant. I don't care if there's only me left. I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, it's like what Joshua said. You know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's the stand you make, no matter what. No matter about public opinion or what happens. I think we need to reject reckless calls to things like civil war. I was talking to an American uh, lady who... uh, 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 connected with the lavender farm where Glenda and I both worked this summer. And I said, what do you you think's going to happen in your country? And she said, I think there's going to be civil war. I mean, that's that's scary. We're not called to fight civil wars. We're not called to do that. We're called to live holy lives and we're called to live all out for Jesus. So I believe we need to be countercultural. Now, I was countercultural back in the late 60s You know, and I grew my hair and wore the clothes and, you know, (laughs) did a little of that. And I I rejected my my parents' culture because it was, you know, old and and, uh, we were cool. And um, and here I am, I'm my father, like I am. I'm my father. Um, And so, but now I get to be countercultural again because now all that uh, hippie culture of the, you know, 1970ish or so that's now become the predominant culture and i just see a lot of deceit and failure in it so I, you can be countercultural it's countercultural to follow god hallelujah you can step out and get your neck chopped off for jesus and that's that's a good thing you don't have to go along with the crowd you don't have to be popular you're not trying to get elected you need to stand up for the lord Uh, We need to hope in God, not man. Our message is the gospel. Our message is not government. You know, we don't need to condemn the immigrant. We need to reach the immigrant. That's what we should do. Our focus needs to be the way Jesus would focus. We need to expect New Testament persecution. Jesus said in John 15, 18, um, you know, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. As its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, where therefore the world hates you. You go off spouting this tomorrow wherever you go, and people are gonna hate you for it. I don't like being hated. Do you like being hated? Now some of you do. And you're just weird. <laughs> but most of you don't. Most of you don't like being hated. Well, here's what I know about that. God does not allow us to hate back. We don't have that option. And I see it everywhere. And I see Christians getting embroiled in all this stuff. And you know why? It's because this stuff gets our emotions going. And you know, some of it we can't help, but we need to, our mind needs to control our emotions, not the other way around. So that what comes out of it, we should be able to have civil discussions at the Thanksgiving table today or tomorrow about such things. And a lot of people avoid such discussions because it's just going to turn into a big argument. And and that happens because we get emotional about it and we just need to think before we speak. And we need to get in control of our emotions so we can have a rational, calm discussion. One more verse, Galatians 3.28. I was really worried about going overtime, but look, i got two minutes, and that's about all I need. Because I noticed the new preacher, he doesn't go overtime much. Not yet. I don't know about the other guy. I expect nothing's changed, but the new guys he's done by 12. That's why they like him. <laughs> Uh, Galatians where is Galatians 328 there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus We used to sing this old hymn in Christ there is no east or west I can't remember another word of it but I remember that in Christ, there's no slave or free. In Christ, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You're equal before God. That's what that means. I would add one thing. In Christ, there is no left or right. Follow Jesus, not human leaders. Allow the people, listen to this. This is what I'm, my last thing I'm going to say. Allow the people you disagree with the freedom and the dignity to choose their convictions. Because that's what God does. Let's stand for prayer. <laughs> Lord, thank you for uh, your word. I uh, thank you, Lord, that it's uh, just as pertinent today as it was centuries ago. Lord, we live in a tumultuous time. Uh, We don't know what's going to happen. We pray for our country. Um, We wish you were running, Lord, so we could vote for you. Uh, But we pray that uh, whoever ends up in power, that they would respect the uh, things of God and that, Lord, you would um, bless our leaders with wisdom as they try to lead in this troublesome times. Help us as the church to distinguish between the church and the world. Help us, Lord, to be, number one, loyal to you. And, Lord, it isn't easy to be a Christian in this time. We we are largely uh, silenced. Uh, People largely don't want to hear what we have to say. And, Lord, maybe it's uh, partly due because of how we say it. Um, Lord, help us to speak the truth with love. Help us to be like you, full of grace and truth. And Lord, um, if we end up being hated because of that, then Lord, we accept that because uh, they hated you. So I just pray you'd um, speak to our hearts about these things and that uh, you would give us your wisdom. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that you offer us. In Jesus' name, amen.